Good morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Philippians, we're getting towards the end of the, chap the book, and we're in chapter 4. And our passage today will be Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Sure is good to look out and see each of you here today. Thank you for worshiping at Vero Bible Fellowship. Most of you, this is your home church, and we're very thankful that it's your home church. How important it is that we as the body come together uh, on the Lord's Day and fellowship, connect, and, uh, and receive from the Lord. And that's what we're here for today. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 through 9, as Deb read for us. Before we get started and before we pray, let me just uh, let you know that uh, Pastor Brenton, our worship leader, uh, he is actually preaching at a church in Felsmere this morning. And so uh, an opportunity that uh, a friend of his uh, called and said, could you preach for us? So he's there preaching, and we want him to have every opportunity that he can get to, to deliver the word. So you'll be hearing him back here in the pulpit uh, fairly soon as well. We finish this series in Philippians next weekend. And uh, so make sure you're here to finish strong. And then we're going to go into either from here, we'll go into either Hebrews or Nehemiah. I haven't made a decision yet, so uh, be in prayer for that, and uh, we might even have a little short series uh, from one of the passages in Scripture before then, but uh, that's, that's the game plan going forward. Uh, this, on Wednesday nights at our Wednesday night Bible study, we're currently in the book of Ruth, we've got a couple weeks left, and then we'll start the book of Esther. So if any of those books uh, challenge you or intriguing to you, Please come out and join us. We'd love to have you. Let me also say to you again, as I did last week, 
please be in prayer for those in leadership who are guiding us towards a future facility. Please continue to pray. We need, we covet your prayers. Have you been praying? I, 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 I'll tell you what, God is doing something and we don't have a, there's no, right now there's nothing to share with you of any concrete, you know, uh, encouragement, uh, but there is something that God is stirring and prayer works, amen? amen? Oftentimes prayer changes us more than anything else and it prepares us for what God's up to. And we said from day one, we're up to, tr we're, all we want to do is join God in his work. And so that's what we're trying to discern, and that's what we need you to pray about, that the Lord would make very clear to us His work. Now, let me also share with you that uh, the elders have been very diligent in their meetings to pray about small group ministry. We will have small group ministry, and uh, that's going to be an exciting time in the life of our church. We're just laying the ground floor, if you will, or the infrastructure for it, and uh, you'll hear much more in the weeks to come. But uh, it's exciting how everything just seems to fall in place. It's God's work. Uh, something else that you might not be aware of, but uh, next month, uh, I forget which, which Sunday next month, but uh, we will celebrate five years as Vero Bible Fellowship. Isn't that something? Five years. Praise God. And, uh, and the first Sunday that Vero Bible actually had somewhat of a, a public service, was here in this room. And that was in October, the first Sunday of October. So this October, we will, we will do something special in the service. I don't know what. But we're holding the big celebration for the fifth anniversary until the first of the year. Because we want all of our winter members to be back and to join us. And we'll probably do a Friday or a Saturday-Sunday event. It'll be a Saturday evening Sunday morning, a big celebration. So we've got some partying to do at Bureau Bible Fellowship in the months to come, okay? It's exciting, all of this, what God's been doing, what he is doing, and thank you for being part of it. I want to say to you that summer is a time to get away, but you know what? When you get back, get to church, amen? When you come home, you come to church. You be with your church family. God calls us to that, to be one and to be together to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how Peter finished his letter. And so that's what we want to be about. So today we are going to continue in our study in Philippians. And uh, today we shift gears. You know, early in many of Paul's letters, he points out doctrinal matters. He instructs in doctrinal matters. And then after, towards the end of those letters, he turns to application. That's his general rule. It's not, a, it's not true of every book that Paul wrote, but as a general rule, he starts with strong uh, doctrinal clarity. And then after he establishes the truth of doctrine, then he shifts into the how-tos. He shifts into the application of that doctrine. And that's what Paul is doing here in Philippians. Verses 2 through 9 He's now telling us how to live, okay? He's already told us what the truth is. Now, how to apply the truth. And that's where we are today. And the reality is, Paul instructs believers in this book how we should think. Because how we think 
affects our joy meter. Every one of you have the capacity to be joyful. This entire book is titled A Joy-Filled Life. God wants you to have a, not a joy-filled moment, not a joy-filled day like a birthday. He wants you to have a joy-filled life. But how you think plays heavy on whether or not you'll experience God's joy. And so it's not what you eat, it's what eats at you that generally keeps us from God's joy. So did you know that your attitude is a reflection of the way you think? And the scripture says that as a man thinketh, so is he, right? Some of us might need to unplug the drain that's been put on our joy. Let the joy flow. Right now it's all clogged up with stinking thinking. And we're not experiencing the joy that God wants us to have in our life. And so this whole thing, God, the Bible has much to say about the mind. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's right there in Matthew 22. In 1 John 5.20, the apostle declares, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us, here it is, understanding so that we may know him and know that he is true. So it's with the mind that we receive understanding. In Romans 12, 2, Paul exhorts, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, may, that by testing you may, here it is, discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's from the mind that we discern the will of God. I mean, God is all about your mind. He gave you a mind for a purpose. Here's another one. In Luke 24, 45, Jesus said, open their minds to understand the scriptures. We receive revelation from the scripture when we open ourselves to God. Now listen, an open mind in this world is not what he's talking about. In the world, when somebody says, well, I'm open-minded, what that means is I have zero discernment. I don't apply any filter of truth to what comes into my mind. That is not for the believer. To open our mind is to open the mind to the truth of God's word, and everything we see that we hear, it comes through the filter of the truth of God's word. That's discernment. And God's calling us to, to be discerning through the mind, how we think. How do we think? Based on how we read the scripture, how we know the word of God. We've studied it. We know and we measure things by it. And then Romans 8, 5, Paul said, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, listen, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. So setting the mind on spiritual things is crucial to walking in the Spirit. You can't walk in the Spirit when your mind is focused on fleshly things. Now, Proverbs 23, 7. I said it earlier. As a man thinketh, so he is, or so is he. So what do you think about the mind? Did you know that it has such a direct impact on your level of joy? It does. So today Paul takes us on this journey. So let me give you, if I can, 
two or three, maybe four, I'll just see how the Lord leads me this morning, points of, uh, that Paul brings out. And, and, and they're all in the text. I'm not sure how far we'll get or what we'll do here, but let's just go with it and see what the Lord does. First of all, to have a joy-filled mind. Number one, a joy-filled mind focuses on resolving conflict. Write it down, please. A joy-filled mind focuses on resolving conflict. You cannot have a joy-filled mind when you're in conflict with others. You just can't. Okay? So look at verse 2 that, that Deb read for us. Let's go ahead and break down the text. This is an exposition today. This, we never just start talking about whatever subject and, or I come up with my own thoughts on it and share you, with you my thoughts. Who cares about my thoughts? That's not what it's about. It's about the word, right? So let's break down the word of God. Verse 2, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I want them to agree in the Lord, but I entreat them. To entreat means to exhort. It means to plead with, to urge. This is not a little thing. Paul is calling out these two ladies in the church. And he's saying, you guys have to get it together here. Now, we don't know what the subject of their disagreement is. And it's not important. Otherwise, Paul would have given it. But what is important is that they're in disagreement. And it's having a negative impact on the church. Let me say that again. Our interpersonal conflicts have a negative impact on God's church. You might, you might think it's just between me and them. No, it's not. That's not how it works in the spirit realm. The enemy will take what you have between you and someone else, and they will blow it up, and they'll make it about the whole church. They wanted, the enemy always wants to rob us of the joy of the Lord as our strength. That's, his, that's what he does. So he says, I entreat, these two ladies to agree in the Lord. Now, agree in the Lord, what does that mean? It means to be of the same mind. Paul is saying to you, you men and you ladies, if you're ladies, be soul sisters. One souled. That's what it literally means in the Greek, to be one souled. S O U L E D, sold. One souled. If it's brothers that are in contention, be one, be one sold, be, be blood brothers, be brothers who are soul brothers. We think the same on the things that matter. And we let that rule our conversations. We don't let little silly things crowd out what's really important, what keeps us together. So what were they fighting about? Again, who knows? Silly stuff. More concerning is the effect. So apparently they were leading two opposing factions in the church because the church is now picking sides. That's a problem in the church of Jesus Christ. When you start sharing what you think with somebody else in the church, let me tell you what that's called. Instead of going to the person that you ought to go to, that's what Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 tell you to do. If you've got aught with your brother or if your brother has aught with you, go to them and make it right between the two of you. Reconcile. 
It does not say anywhere in Scripture for you to go to a third party. That's called triangulation. And triangulation brings confusion. It brings frustration. It brings more people into a situation that doesn't even, it's not about them. If somebody calls you up on the phone and says, I'm really having a difficult time with this person. The natural response is, oh, what's going on? And then they just fill your ear with their view. Do you do know? Whatever they're telling you, it's probably not the whole truth. You'd have to have both of them in the room to get the whole truth. And you probably still wouldn't get the whole truth because it's such a convoluted mess that they've created. And they're hanging up over stuff that doesn't even matter. Amen? It's the truth. This is where we can easily get to. These are, listen, these ladies are believers. They've ministered with the Apostle Paul. But something's got inside of them, and it's turned them. And now they, they're picking sides. They're getting people to go to their side, and they're just telling anybody and everybody what's going on. But what they're not doing is going to each other. And so what does he say? This is very interesting here. Look how Paul handles this matter. Again, it's a big enough matter affecting the church that Paul has to address it. If it, was, if it wasn't affecting the church that much, then Paul wouldn't address He's addressing this because it's having an impact. I don't know what the issue was. Maybe they both auditioned to be on the worship team and one got in and the other didn't. I mean, who knows? Maybe one was thanked publicly for their service with children and the other wasn't. And now they're livid. They've gotten sideways with that. And they're saying to the other, can you believe that he recognized her? I've been here serving even longer than she has. And the enemy is just hooting and hollering, woo, victory today. Why? Because there ain't an ounce of joy coming out of that person's mouth. And there's no joy in their heart. They've been robbed. Some of us sitting here today, you're not walking in joy. And you can't until you get things right. See, while the issue is inconsequential, the sin behind the issue is not inconsequential. It is a big deal. And what's the sin behind it? Well, I'm just going to tell you, let's go to the root problem. Pride. You're too proud to go to the person and say, listen, we can go into everything and talk about it, but the reality is it doesn't really matter because I was part of, I acted wrongly. And I'm going to own my stuff and I'm going to tell you I'm sorry for what I've done. See, that, that's what brothers, that's what sisters do who know the Lord. A contentious heart and a joyful mind never coexist. That's why the point of contention needs to be resolved. As long as you feed the pride monster inside of you, you'll never have peace. You'll never have joy. You'll never contribute positively to your church family. As long as that stuff exists, the church is going to suffer for it. The church won't be one. The church won't be whole. Because what happens is people pick up on your bad attitude. They pick up on your somber spirit. They pick up on you walking around, woe is me whatever theme song you've created for yourself, and people see it, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? Well, let me tell you. And then they blast off on the other person. And now you've got more people in the church who are picking sides. 
We've had that here in Bureau Bible Fellowship. We've already had it. We're a five-year-old church. We've already experienced that. Somebody spreads a word instead of coming to the source, the person they have an issue with, they go to other people. And then other people start picking sides. And they don't even have a clue what they're talking about. Serious stuff. It can rob us of joy. At Vero Bible, we want to be a joyful church. Amen? Amen. And I think we are a joyful church. But don't think for a second the enemy's going to lay back and say, well, I can't touch them. It's when you're following Christ that the enemy puts a crosshair on you. And if you're finding temptation to not recover and reconcile with somebody in the church, that's just a clear indicator that you must be doing something right. The enemy's trying to get you not to do what you ought to do. Do what's right. Go ahead and finish what you started. Walk as a child in the light, not in the darkness. Amen. Enough preaching. Let's keep moving. Get back to teaching. Verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. That's actually somebody who has a name, and the name means true companion. If you want to know what the Greek word for true companion is, it's syzygos. What a name. Syzygos. S-Y-Z-Y-G-O-S. If you're writing it down, syzygos. So here Paul is saying, yes, I ask you also, syzygos, okay, help these women. we got two ladies that aren't getting along, and now they're building a faction in the body of Christ. I need you to go and help them. Now, before you assume you know what the word help means in the Greek language, let me explain it. Because the English translation can be very misleading. You're assuming that when he says, help these women, he's saying, syzygos, mediate, help these ladies to resolve the issue, mediate between them. And it could be two men that are having the issue. It's not just women, right? It can be either. But that's not what he's saying at all. It is, he's not using the Greek word for mediate. When he says help, let me tell you what he means. He means take into custody, seize, grasp, apprehend. What is he saying to Syzygos? I want you to arrest these ladies in their sinful condition. It's affecting the church, their sinful behavior. They're not resolving the issue as they should. So seize them. It doesn't mean physically seizing, grabbing hold of them. With I just did that, and you probably thought, oh, my goodness. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry. But seizing in the sense of stopping them, going straight to them. Ladies, I need to talk to both of you. Please, please come here. Ladies, what's going on between you is affecting this whole church. It has to stop now. On your time with the Lord helping you, the two of you need to meet and reconcile. But until you do, do not speak to another person in this church about your problem. Stop it. And if we hear that you're continuing to speak to others and you're causing a faction in the church, you are not welcome to fellowship here until you get it right. That's called church discipline. The Bible talks about church discipline a lot. Not for the purpose of casting people out of the church. Church discipline is always 
for the purpose of seeing people reconciled to Christ and reconciled to the body. But sometimes you got to cast them out until they are willing to get right with God. So if you're going to act like the world and spread little gossip rumors and have negative fault finding and whatever else you're doing, uh, we're going to put you out in the world and say, go ahead. And we're praying that Lord reveal to them just how wicked their heart has been on this matter. Let them see it for what it is. And then as soon as they see it, we receive them back again. See, the goal is not to keep people away from the church. The goal is to get people right so they can be part of the church. Amen? Listen, I'm not, this is not a club. This is not a HOA thing here. I'm not, I'm not throwing down HOA regulations and rules here. This is not man's idea. Listen, the church belongs to Christ, right? Isn't that true? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not Greg's church, not the elder's church, my church. Those guys are just under shepherds. I'm the great shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. They're under shepherds. But I've given them instruction by the word of God how to handle matters in my church. And they need to carry it out because those who teach will be held to a higher accountability before God than anybody else. So they better keep track of what's going on in the church and they better handle it in a loving way, but be firm and handle it. That, that word there, help these women, take them into custody, seize them, grasp them, apprehend them. We cannot allow this to continue to happen in the life of the church. It will bring harm to the church. And the church, when that happens, is harmed greatly. Any church, it's not a good thing. He says, looking further. And by the way, these are, again, these are two good ladies. <laughs> these, are la these are ladies who served with Paul. These, are, these ladies are saved. This is not, these are, these are not wolves that have come in sheep's clothing have snuck into the church and are doing this. These are ladies who are truly saved. But here's the deal. Uh, sometimes good people get off track, right? In our interpersonal relationships, it's hard to have a... See, that's why people jump around from church to church. They stay just long enough until they get offended just a little bit by somebody. And they don't keep track of all their offenses. But they do keep track of everybody else's offenses. And what do they do? Well, I'm moving on. I'll find another church. Well, you're just taking all your mess somewhere else. Believe me, if you came to this church from somewhere else because you got your feelings hurt and you never resolved it with them, please go back and get it right first and then come to it. If God's leading you, then come here. But if you get it right, you might want to stay. This, this church hopping is not, that's not of the Lord. And so it's important for us as a church to deal with our relationships. Listen, you do know God's the one who designed church to be the people and the people are different in every way shape and form no two people here are alike we all like different things I, there's some of you i could sit and talk for an hour because you love to fish like i like to fish we've got that in common there's others of you that you're into something that i could care less about i, I don't care to sit for an hour and talk to you about it sometimes i need to because the bible calls me to be part of the whole church, right? But that's the beauty of church. God's put me with all these different people, all these weird people, as if I'm not weird. We're all weird. We're all unique. We're all different. God designed it that way. And the more time we spend together, 
the greater the opportunity, the temptation to get wounded from each other. Good grief. You know what healthy marriage is? Healthy marriage is two people who throughout their marriage have had all kinds of disagreements, but they've learned to work through them and stay together. They're stronger because of the conflicts in the marriage. The conflict didn't cause them to run the other way. The conflict said, hey, it's a big deal. We're going to work through it. God put us together. God's got an answer for us. And generally what it means to have a marriage that works is I get out of my wife's backyard. And I get in my own backyard and let God do a work in me. And as he does a work in me, it changes me in that relationship with my wife. And she's to do the same. That's, but if she doesn't, that's not on me. That's on her. But I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Amen? And that's what Rini and I, you know, 30, I was wrong the other day. I said we'll be married 38 years. We'll be married 39 years in September. 39. She thought it was 38 too. So, man, I got out of that one. Woo! Man, oh, man. The only reason we've been together for 39 years is because we're committed to each other. We are fully committed. Well, guess what? Listen, Ephesians chapter 5, towards the end of that wonderful passage about husbands and wives, about marriage. You know what Paul says? He says, this is a mystery. What's a mystery? Marriage. Why is it a mystery? Because it's a picture of Christ to his church. The world's looking. They're watching your marriage. And your marriage is supposed to be a beautiful picture of Christ in relationship to his church. Does Christ ever walk out on his church? Uh-uh. Does the church stop coming under his headship? If you do, you're no longer a church of Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful relationship. That's what marriage is to be. Listen, in the church, that's what our relationships with each other should reflect. That we're committed. We don't go jumping around from church to church. You'll never find the church you want. Why? Because you're not the person you ought to be. You can always grow too, amen? So why wouldn't the church be like you? The church has got bumps and problems and issues just like you've got those things so paul's really hitting this thing pretty hard here he takes this matter of relational conflict very seriously he says in verse three look at this again let's just look at this have these ladies have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life these folks are Christians. They're going to spend eternity together. You can't get along on earth, and here you are going to spend eternity. Now listen, let me just say this. Some relationships, some people, it's just not good that you guys spend a lot of time together. You're just different. You just don't, you're not tracking the same. That happens in the church. And God's not saying that you have to spend a lot of time with that person. Maybe it's just their personality annoys you. Well, God wants you to grow, right? He wants you to learn to be patient and long-suffering with that annoying personality. Don't just not be around and hide from them. But also, you don't have to spend all your time with them. Okay? And we should spend time with each other. We, we move around the crowd. We get to know. And then you find people that are like-minded. You have affinity. And that affinity brings you together. 
But don't ever think that you're called to be just with people that you have affinity with. You still have to go and hang out with everybody else. That's healthy church. you got to learn to put up with people that aren't like you. Hey, listen, hey, they have to put up with you. they got to spend a little time with you, even though they really don't care to. Because they're committed to the church. They're committed to Christ. They're committed to their brothers and sisters. These ladies were godly, but they're not acting godly in the moment. So, uh, those who have a history of causing division in the church, it's interesting to me here. Let, let me give you a couple things, okay? A couple takeaways from what Paul is saying here. There are two types of people that, uh, that we have to be careful of. Everybody else, we got to get along. But here's two, two things about people. We don't have to get along with people who are behaving or living in moral failure. We don't have to put up with that stuff. If they're unwilling to repent of their moral issues, Paul said, break fellowship with them. Break fellowship. If they're living in an affair and you know it, go to them and say, brother, sister, what you're doing is absolutely against the word of God. It's sinful. Jesus addressed it. You know, the, you know what's right. I'm asking you to stop. I'm asking you to seek repentance before God. Get your life back in order. And they look at you and laugh you off. Hey, dude, just mind your own business. So what do you do next? You say, brother, if you won't get this together, we're going to have to go talk to the elders together. You bring it before the elders. And the elders will also try to get that person to come away from that sinful lifestyle and come back to God and repent, make, their, make things right. If they don't, the elders will say to them, you're not welcome to come and worship here because you're unwilling to repent. And by you being there in that state, you will have influence with others who are weak. They'll see you here and they'll go, oh, it doesn't really matter. You ever heard a church say, we, God loves you just the way you are? Okay, here's the, here's the reality. God loves you because he created you. Nowhere in Scripture does God love the way you are, where you get to pick and choose how you want to be, and God loves that. God loves you as a created being, but he's calling you out of the way you are and into a better way. Amen? That's the book of Hebrews, by the way. Through Christ, it's always a better way. Don't take the wrong way. Then there's another type of person, too, and that's those who have history of causing division in the church. When we see someone who just will not change, they keep having conflict with people. They keep stirring up behind the leaders of the church, stirring up negative reports, and they won't go to the leaders they won't come and tell us what they're thinking, what they're telling others. And when we confront them lovingly, they, don't, they still don't share everything. And even when we say, please stop, you either come to us and deal with it, but you don't have a right to go to the body and open up a can of worms. Because what we're telling you is there's a right way and a wrong way to handle matters. And generally speaking, the reason people don't want to go to the leaders is because they enjoy what they're doing. They're getting an audience. They're getting people to side with them. It gives them a sense of pride that rises up. You know, look, I've got my own following. There's a lot of things. 
but it's wrong. Right is right, wrong is wrong. And we should call out one another when we're wrong. And we should encourage one another when, we're, when they do right. Amen? That's what it means to be part of God's family. So the warning here is clear. Don't allow contentious uh, and, or divisive people to continue in their sin. Let me give you a passage. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Write that down. Titus 3.10. Let me read it for you. Here it is. As for a person who stirs up division. Now he's talking about the church. Somebody in church who's stirring up division. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. You know that they are talking to other people rather than going to the person they have an issue with. Warn them. Warn them again. Then have nothing to do with them. Treat them like a pagan. They might be saved, but treat them like a pagan because that's what they're acting like. And, and, and if it continues and, the, and it builds a faction, the elders will take it a step further. You're no longer, it breaks our heart to say this to you, but you're not welcome to have fellowship here because you've been warned and we're seeing a pattern of this in your life. You do this a lot and it tears down the church. It holds back the church from being joy-filled. So we deal with it. When you come into a relational conflict with someone, ask three questions. Write these down. One, is this conflict over a matter of eternal significance? Is what I'm struggling with, with this other person, is it, does it have eternal significance or is it trivial? If it's not of eternal significance, let it go and reconcile. Number two, is this a matter of biblical conviction? Can I turn to a specific passage of Scripture, which, by the way, not taken out of context, but given in context, turn to a Scripture, and can I clearly cite a convincing doctrinal position? In other words, if there is a position that the Bible holds and they're taking a different position, you lovingly confront them with that and say, brother, I'm going to show you right here in the text. This is why what you're saying, what you're believing is false. Here it is right here. And while we're at it, let me just go ahead and turn. And it's over here. And by the way, it's also back here. Now you're giving them the opportunity to either humble up before the mighty hand of God and say, you've shown me I'm wrong. Forgive me. Remember David when he was confronted by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba? What was his response? I have sinned against the Lord. He humbled up. He didn't bow up. Well, you, yeah, you've shown me those, but I, but I just know. Well, I've been in the church a long time, and I'm telling you, I've learned this in the church. That's why I'm taking the position I'm taking. Because I've listened to a certain preacher, and this is what he says. Who cares what that preacher's saying if he's not quoting the Scripture? He's wrong. There's a lot of opinions by preachers that have nothing to do with the Word of God. 
don't follow a man. Don't follow me. You follow the word of God. As long as I'm in the word, you can sit under my teaching. But the minute I drift from this, you ought to run from here. My opinion doesn't amount to a hill of beans before God. The only thing that matters, heaven and earth will pass away. Greg's opinions will pass away. But the word of God will stand forever. Now listen, church, you either submit to the word or you are in conflict with God. And that conflict, the enemy will take and try to draw others into it. And it makes a mess. It makes a mess. Thirdly, is this a matter of which Christians must agree? Um, there are some things we must agree on. We must agree that God loves all kinds of people. God's church is not to be a racist church. That there are certain people, certain people groups that we just don't like. And therefore, I hope none of them ever come to our church. Are you kidding? You have an issue with God. You're wrong. And when you get two people fighting over that, that's worth staying in the fight and saying, I'm standing for truth on this thing. You're wrong. And the church, church leaders will take a stand on that as well. We love everybody here. Where's the amens? We love all kinds of people. The, 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 by the way, this church ought to reflect this community. What kind of people live in our community? Lots of different kinds of people. Shouldn't the church be a reflection of that? Remember the church in Antioch when they gathered together? You had people from every part of the globe that were there. And the leaders were different colored people and different, from different places. They were all one in Christ. The church in Ephesus, wow, what a mixture of people. And yet the gospel of grace brought them all together as brothers and sisters. That's Virile Bible Fellowship. That's what we ought to be about. Amen? Okay, so somebody said, on the majors, conviction. On the minors, tolerance. In all things, love. Okay, that's just point one. Where are we at in time? I don't care. Okay, uh, the joy-filled mind resolves conflict. Number two, the joy-filled mind is a reasonable mind. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice paul comes back to the theme of the whole book man he ties it right smack dab right after dealing with church conflict i love that he says hey get out of that conflict mess and get into some joy rejoice in the lord always paul is challenging the church to live with the lord in a sphere that is unrelated to the circumstances of life unrelated to the to the the conflict a place that is unassailable, unchanging, because our personal relationship to the sovereign Lord transcends any issues that we have with each other. And then he says, verse 5, let your reasonableness, that is your gentleness, be known to everyone. Be known as a person who is gentle. It doesn't mean you don't have a strong conviction. Okay? And there's a time to lovingly state your strong conviction. Nobody in this church is going to ask you to budge off of a strong conviction that's biblical. The question is, is it biblical? Does the Bible treat it as strongly as you do? Okay? But here's the reality of it. He says gentleness. In other words, not necessarily, uh, or not unnecessarily rigorous. 
It's where the legal right is not in view. Sometimes we know we're right. It's not worth it because it's not a major issue. So, so let it go. Just let it go. You don't have to live in that, net, that world where you have to win every time. Where I'm right and you got to know I'm right. i got to hear you say I'm right. Otherwise, I'm not going to stop telling you what I need. I'm just going to keep right on going until you tell me, okay, 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 you beat me down. You're right, you're right. Some things aren't worth it. There are other things that are worth it. Okay? So, more people forfeit their joy over the exertion of their rights than almost any other thing. Let me just tell you this. You want to have joy? Give up your rights. Give up the right to be right. Uh, again, let me clarify. I'm not saying give up your right to be right on things in the Scripture that are most important, that matter. Don't give up those rights. But see, that's not your right. That's the Bible's right. You're just simply quoting the, the rights that God gives. Amen? But your rights, give it up. It's not worth it. When you're up with rights, you're down with joy. When you're down with rights, you'll be up with joy. Jesus never exerted his rights. And if we truly in Christ, are in Christ, then we're not the one in charge. Jesus is in charge. Don't you know that Jesus will handle matters better than you will? I've gone through some things in my life and one thing in particular that was just devastating to me. I mean, it just literally is like somebody took their fist and just hit me right in the stomach, took every ounce of air out of my body. And I was like that for a couple months. I know what that feels like. And you know the whole time God was saying to me? Don't touch it. Don't try to represent. Don't try to lay down your rights. You know you've got a position. I don't care. You let me handle that. You walk. You focus on me. Let me do a work in you. And I'll handle everything else. So I'm not just preaching this because I think it sounds good. I've lived it. I know what it feels like when you've been wronged. And listen, it ain't your battle. You belong to the Lord. The only rights you now have are the rights that Jesus has. You're not this person walking around all day long. That's the problem with our nation right now. Everybody thinks they've got rights for this and that and whatever. Well, their rights are wrong, a lot of them. What would happen to the United States of America if everybody in our nation submitted to the rights of Jesus Christ? You'd see an instant transformation of a nation. But see, pride's that strong. And it keeps good people from surrendering rights. You've got to surrender so if you're defending your rights all the time, you're putting yourself ahead of the Lord. You need to get off the throne. Stop playing judge and jury. Humble yourself. Listen, being a Christian is about selflessness. No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's when joy starts flowing again in your life. When you can get there. Get out of your head, all that other stuff. Let this get in your head. Know who you are in Christ. Rest in Him. Let Him handle the mess. Amen? So what's the reason for gentleness, for reasonableness? He says in verse 5, the latter part of the verse, the Lord is at hand. You don't want to be caught up in all that nonsense when the Lord returns. He's at hand. He could come any time. So get it right. 
The joy-filled mind is a reasonable mind. But thirdly, the joy-filled mind removes anxiety. It removes anxiety. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything as it relates to giving up my rights. In my exhaustive study of the Greek meaning of the word anything here, he says, do not be anxious about anything. In my study, the word, ang- uh, the word anything actually means anything. Nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. You can surrender every bit of it to God, and God can return you to joy. What does Jesus have to say about divided cares or worries? Because that's what anxious means. To be anxious is to be divided in your caring, in your, in your understanding. And you're, you're like two-minded. You can't have joy when you're double-minded. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire or to the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What does he clothe you in? What does he clothe me in? As Christians, his righteousness. And he goes further. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's what the world seeks after. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. It's not like you don't need it. Well, God knows that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In your, per, in your relationships, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In your worries over whatever the matter is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then these things will be added to you. What's the greatest thing added to you? Joy. I'm not walking around anxious anymore. I'm not worrying anymore. I belong to the Lord. He's got it covered. I just need to walk in him. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What did Jesus just say? The the, the troubles, the worries, they're not going to go away. They're going to always be there tempting you, the worries, because every day there's trouble. He just said that. Tomorrow is going to have enough trouble of its own for you. But you can still have joy. You can still be lifted when you hand those troubles over to the Lord. Amen? There, there are physicians out there that, that believe that 75% of all physical illness is related to anxiety. Wow, that's crazy. And by the way, anxiety is big business in our country. Big business. Why not just hand it over to the Lord and save a lot of money? I'm not trying to sound like it's just so easy. and so. I, I, no, it's work to daily keep your focus on the Lord and hand things off. It's, it's work. But you will have more joy. You will have a lift. I do think that God gives everybody a backpack to carry, like a soldier's backpack. A soldier's given a backpack, and he's not allowed 
to let somebody else carry his backpack. He's supposed to carry it. Now, there's times in life where we get a load on us that's more than a, than a serviceman's backpack. And that, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Because the burden they're having right now is way too heavy for them to bear alone. That's why I've given you the body of Christ. But, but, but most of the time, God lets a backpack be on you. That trouble that you're going to face tomorrow, God's going to use it if you'll allow him to cause you to grow in your faith, to strengthen you, because you lean more into him when you have a problem than when you don't. He told Paul, who had the, the thorn in the flesh, Paul said, Lord, if you just lift this from me, if I, you know, I've asked you to take it away. And, but the Lord told me, no, um, in my weakness, he is strong. So the point is not to try to get rid of the trouble. The point is to learn how to let the joy of God flow in you even while you have troubles. Verse, verse uh, 6, In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is communing with God. Listen to what supplication is. It's making an urgent request to meet a need. And he's saying, do it. Do it. And do it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving always amps up your faith. When you come to God with a thankful heart, you say, what are you thankful for, man? You're in a mess. Because my God is bigger than my mess. And God has blessed me so much, and I'm so thankful to be his child. And you come with that attitude and bring your supplication, don't you know that your, your faith is strengthened in that? Because you're trusting God. And here's the result you can expect. Look what he says in verse 7. And the peace of God. Wow. The peace doesn't come until you have a problem that you can't fix and you turn to God in faith, believing, and show with thanksgiving that, God, I'm trusting you with this. And now, and only now, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that doesn't mean a peace that cannot be defined. It just means it's a peace that goes beyond my understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense why I have so much peace right now. But I've got it. Amen? I need to get beyond that, that, that problem, that anxiety. Having the peace of God brings me beyond what my understanding can fully grasp. Verse 7, again, will guard, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, once I come into the peace of God, I'm like, what was I thinking before that I let that take me like it did? How did I get there in my thinking? It's only caused me anxiety. See, it's after you come into the peace of God, you begin to look back and you go, why did it take me so long to get here? So genuine, thankful prayer produces peace, joy, and rest. Paul gives us practical application on these things. One last thought. I'll be quick. The joy-filled mind focuses on things that bring God's peace. Verse 8, look at it. The, the joy-filled mind focuses on things that bring God's peace. See, you can help yourself 
If you get up in the morning and you just turn on the news, you're going to be filled up with all kinds of negative stuff, and it's just going to cause worry. Okay, that's on you. Okay, here's what Paul says. Here's how you should be thinking when you get up in the morning. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, what does that mean? True of God. Okay, whatever is honorable, <laughs> what does that mean? Worthy of respect. Whatever is just, whatever conforms with the character of God, that's just. If it doesn't conform with the character of God, it's not just. They can say all day long, social justice. Most of what they mean by social justice does not line up with the character of God. Whatever is pure, that means innocent, uncorrupted. Whatever is lovely, that which brings righteous pleasure. Things that are lovely are the things that bring into you righteous pleasure. Okay? Whatever is commendable, that means whatever is of a good report. Get off the news. That's a negative report. Fill your mind with a good report. If there is any excellence, that means is it morally excellent? If there is anything worthy of praise, if there is anything worthy of honoring God, think about these things. Now, what you do when you walk through those, those wonderful things, you are absolutely limiting the amount of anxiety that comes into you. And the part of it that you can't control, it's just going to be there because of trouble, trials, you follow through prayer with thanksgiving. You give it to God. And the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. A recipe for joy. So take the drain out of your joy. Let it flow again. Okay? Plug it up. Okay? Get, what you want to do is let the way it flows is, is, is through ver verses 8 or actually verse 8, just focus on that each day. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, I'm living my life in joy and peace and rest. Why aren't you? Wait a minute. Paul's in prison in Rome when he said this. You can have peace anywhere. You can have joy anywhere. Do you have it? Today, Paul's shown you by the Word of God how to get it. If you've lost it, you can get it back. Amen? Amen. If you've got interpersonal problems, go to the person, get it made right. That hurt. Get, get it made right. Don't waste any more time. Amen? Father, thank you today for your Word. Thank you just for the whole study in Philippians. In a day that we live, it's so easy to let the outside influences change how we how we live on the inside. We lose our joy. But God, joy has nothing to do with circumstances outside. Joy is the inner working of God in our heart. We know who He is, and because we know who He is, we know who we are. And because we know who we are, we have rest, peace, and joy. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we will finish the book of Philippians. And it's been a wonderful study, and I hope that... Uh, You'll come back next week. Let's, let's finish strong. Amen? If you have need of prayer, we have prayer partners and we have elders who will be up front. Just come up, talk to them. They'll pray with you about any matter going on in your life. They want to agree with you. Okay? Amen.